Hi, I'm Leah Wheatholter, owner of Workman Forensics, and this is the Investigation Game Podcast. Hey everyone, Alicia here with a super cool announcement. Starting in July, we want our listeners to be a part of the show by giving us their favorite fraud stories. But we won't be reading it for you. We want you on the show. So if you'd like to be a part, email your favorite story to assistant at workmanforensics.com and we'll work together and get you on the show. Welcome to the Investigation Game Podcast. I'm your host, Leah Wheatholter, CEO and founder of Workman Forensics in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Today, I'm excited for you to listen in on my conversation with crime fiction author and CPA, Mindy Mejia. Mindy's internationally acclaimed thrillers have been translated into over 20 languages. Her books have been picked for People's Best New Books and listed on the Wall Street Journal's Best New Mysteries. A CPA and graduate of the Hamlin University Master of Fine Arts program, she lives and works in the Twin Cities. Today, we're going to discuss her most recent novel, Strike Me Down, a thriller featuring a forensic accountant. Thanks for joining me today, Mindy. Well, thank you for having me. First, I wanted to ask you about your expertise and career. You're an experienced accountant and a crime fiction author, like such a cool combination. So first, I wanted to ask you, what is your story? Like, what made you choose accounting? And then at what point did you decide to start writing? Yes, I know it is a bit of an unusual combination. I have accountant friends who just didn't understand for a long time that I also was an author. (laughs) And they were like, what, you write like, financial statements, you know, like annual reports, you know, they, they didn't quite understand. And then as I grew my career in the crime fiction world, I started getting uh, friends who were writers that were like, wait, but you're also an accountant, you know, and they didn't understand that. So I understand they're, they're two really, really different worlds. But I, I actually started, um, I've, I've always been a writer, written since I was a little kid, since my mom gave me journals, you know, to scribble in. And so I always had stories kind of rumbling around in my head. Never thought I could make a career out of that, though. And so uh, beginning in college, I actually started in credit. I was working for the JCPenney credit card call center. I was kind of working there through my college years, my undergrad years and then moved into corporate credit and the corporate world. I worked for a manufacturer based in the Twin Cities for a number of years and really worked my way into accounting from credit. So, you know, my mentors and and bosses would say, hey, you know, why don't you try reconciling these accounts? Why don't you take on these journal entries? And so just gradually worked my way over to the general accounting side and found that I really enjoyed it. And so eventually went back to school. Well, first I went back to school to get my Master of Fine Arts in Writing because I still had this dream of becoming an author. But then once I started having kids, a family, looking at, you know, paying for college eventually for for these children, I thought, you know what, I should probably go back to school again, get my accounting degree and sit for the CPA exam. So a very roundabout journey to becoming both a CPA and a writer. I, once I, I'd finished my, my accounting degree and was starting to sit for the CPA exam, well, at that time, I had just published Everything You Want Me To Be, which was a book that was kind of my breakout book. It was my second standalone fiction novel. It was translated into, you know, 20 different languages, as you mentioned. Uh, and so that was the book that really launched my career in crime fiction and ended up leaving accounting to write full-time at that point. Wow, that's awesome. Just to go back to the accounting piece just a little bit. So what kind of areas of accounting have you worked and do you still work in accounting today at all? 
Yes, I started, as I said, in credit. So I was really in accounts receivable and then general accounting, uh, working, as I said, account reconciliations, journal entries, month and close, that, that type of cycle. Never got into budgeting as much or cost, but I really started working in revenue accounting, long-term contracts, was in charge of uh, a permanent establishment in Mexico for, for that manufacturer. And so it was looking at kind of tax implications around the world in various jurisdictions became a global credit manager. So I was really looking at territories that we sold into all around the world and, and different considerations that we had there. So really on the revenue side, but I also helped get us through several audits, an external audit, a few internal audits. And so had experience, you know, on the auditee side of the, of the, the equation rather than the auditor. And so had some experience with audit just going through those. I didn't work in tax in terms of, you know, individual income tax or public accounting, but now actually that is what I do. So after I left my my corporate job, I still wanted to sit for the CPA exam. I had all this education under my belt and I wanted to put it to use. So I, I actually became a CPA after I was no longer working in accounting when I was writing full-time. And in an effort to use my credentials, I've started a few things. So I host uh, seminars. I, I give seminars for writers and uh, called Tax Advice for Writers. And I just kind of take them through the journey of you know, their, uh, their business cycles, uh, making business plans, uh, how do they keep track of their, their income, their expenses, what can they deduct, and, and really help writers and artists become more confident in their identities as business people. And then I'm also doing, um, so I'm working the tax season right now as well uh, for a friend of a friend who's a financial advisor. And as we know, this is a very extended tax season this year with, with COVID-19. So still working the, the tax season until July 15th, but um, I'm hoping to be able to just do that uh, for part of the year and then write for the rest of the year to kind of keep both of these hats on. Yeah, I mean, you're not gonna run out of things to do. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's amazing. I just think it's incredible that you do have such extensive experience, but then you're also a really amazing writer as well. This is just really cool. I love it. And I love what you're doing for you know artists and authors, like you said, and I, I love the way you worded it, that you're helping them become more confident in these areas of finances and tax. And because like that's just such an empowering way to talk about it that you're not trying to solve their problems for them, but you're just, you're empowering them to do this themselves. Because really, it's, in my opinion, it's learning language and we can we can always learn new things, so. Yes, I, I agree completely. And I, you know, I think in the same way that there's been this really unfair and tired trope of kind of the boring accountant, there's also sort of um, out of touch artist, you know, the, the artist that's just, that doesn't really live in the real world, that's kind of up in the clouds and, and just looking for inspiration all day. And, and on, when it comes down to it, you know, artists are business people too. They're, the IRS taxes them just the same. And so they, they need to have those tools and be comfortable with those identities. Yeah. Yeah. Such a good point. Absolutely. So whenever you're writing stories, what types of stories do you like to tell when you start writing a new book? Like, is there a common theme? Is there something, you know, what is it that I guess, what are your favorite types of stories to tell, first of all? But then like, is there something that 
you're wanting to discover or communicate through those stories? Well, I'm always looking to discover and communicate something with every story that I write. I consider myself a glutton for education. You know, when I pick up a book to read, I want to be entertained, but I also want to learn something, you know, in every book that I'm reading. And so I try to bring that to the page uh, in the books that I write as well. Uh, all of my books are standalone, which means they're not part of a series. There's no characters that appear in more than one book. They're all separate worlds. Um, so there's nothing that connects them in terms of narrative. But the types of stories that, that I tell really are heartland noir. So all of my books take place in the Midwest, Midwestern United States. I was born and raised in Minnesota. I am raising my family now in Minnesota and am really a Midwesterner at heart. And I think a lot of literary attention is really paid to the coast. You know, we, we, there's a lot of books in New York. There's a lot of books that take place in California. Not so many stories get told about the heartland but it's a, an integral part of this country. You know, you take us away and, and what do you have but two coasts that look down on each other. So <laughs> we, we, are, we are important and, and vital uh, to the telling of this country's story. Uh, so I, I tell stories that take place here in the heartland. And noir um, is a type of crime fiction where we don't always know the right and wrong. We don't always know, you know, the good versus evil. It's characters and landscapes that really exist in shades of gray, where everyone is a bit compromised and everyone is doing the best they can. And I think those kinds of stories people can really relate to because that's our lives, isn't it? We're, we're all making choices based on where we are today and the best way we can get to tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely very relatable. And as a, uh, I'm originally a Texan and I've lived in Oklahoma for 16 years. And so I did enjoy in Strike Me Down, the fact that it was somewhere like not too far away. <laughs> like I, I really did enjoy that. So when you're writing a new book, where do you start? What is your inspiration? A good question. Yeah. My inspiration can really come from anywhere. I do keep a file on my computer called book ideas. <laughs> so a, a very prosaic of me, but I, I do just have kind of a running list of ideas that, that could become a book uh, or I think, you know, might have legs. And I don't always know right away when I'm jotting them down in that folder, if this could actually be an idea that could be sustained for 100,000 words, 300 pages. But what tells me is really the test of time. So as I'm working on a book, I always have other ideas kind of floating around in my head, you know, that are just sort of in the back of my mind. And the ones that come back to me, the ones that keep bubbling up, and, and I think, oh, what about this character? Oh, what, what about this scene for that? You know, the fact that I come back to it again and again as I'm working on something else tells me that it's a story that can be sustained for, you know, the entire journey of a novel. And so that's really my, kind of my gut test, you know, that tells me, okay, this might be an idea that I could work on. Um, but then, and those ideas could come really initially from anywhere, a newspaper article that I read, an old story that my grandmother told me, you know, inspiration is everywhere. And then I do tend to kind of bounce those ideas when I'm ready to sit down and, and start that new book. I'll bounce those ideas off my agent and say, hey, you know, I could do 
these two or three, you know, I'm, I keep thinking about these two or three ideas. What do you think would be the best, you know, next book for me to write? And we'll have a conversation about that. When I thought of that question to ask you, I hadn't really thought about kind of the parallel because my business has been creating products. And so sometimes I have to just like tell myself, okay, stop with the ideas and like go finish the one you've started. That is very difficult for me. So yeah, that would be really similar because to me, having an idea of what to write a book about just seems overwhelming. But relating it to that, I always have this like ongoing list in my head of, okay, if I'm ever bored, I can work on this product and see where it goes. And so that's cool. I, I'm always curious about this. When you're creating characters, do you base any of the characters on people you know, or they, you know, have similarities to people you know, or are any of the characters or maybe things that they struggle with reflective of yourself? How do you create these characters? It's funny because every time I put a new book out, inevitably someone in my life, be it family or friends, they'll read the book and say, oh, this was this person, right? <laughs> They're trying to see themselves or, or see someone that we mutually know in the book. I don't tend to to base characters on people that I know. Usually what I'm I'm starting with a hook, you know, a situation. Strike me down, for example. A forensic accountant has to find $20 million that's gone missing. So it's that premise that I'm starting with. And I and so the character that I know initially is the role. Okay, a forensic accountant. And then once I have the roles of the characters, I can move to motivation. So this is what they do. Why do they do that? Why are they motivated to do that? What? And then I, I'm looking at their flaws, their strengths. It's, it's almost a SWOT analysis, you know, that looking at um, what are their strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And then, of course, I'm throwing them in all the scenes with threats. That's my job. <laughs> right. But, yeah. So I do, I do really look at each character individually. It's, it's almost a getting to know them process of like, if you met someone that you developed a friendship with, that it's kind of chit chat at first, very surface level. And then you dig deeper and really understand what makes them tick, which sounds a little psychotic that I'm doing that with imaginary people in my head, but that's just how it works for me. Yeah, no, I love it. So before writing Strike Me Down, you wrote several other crime fiction novels, but what made you decide in this book to make the lead character a forensic accountant? Yes. So this book was the first book that I wrote as a challenge to myself. In my, my previous books, I'd been inspired, as I said, like by newspaper articles or stories that I'd heard. But this book, after having kind of had these dual careers where I was in accounting with colleagues in that world, in writing with colleagues in that world and talking to these people that just fundamentally didn't seem to understand each other, that I, I knew that there had to be a way I could make accounting thrilling. That the, this, this book was my challenge to say, you know what, accounting and thrillers can occupy the same territory. And, and so obviously my natural choice for the accountant that was going to star in this book was a forensic accountant. Because forensic accountants, as you know, Leah, are the detectives of the financial world. There couldn't have been a better fit for this book. Yeah, I love it. In any of your experience, I mean, we kind of talked about your experience, but didn't talk about any forensic accounting in your experience. Had you ever stumbled across fraud or forensic accounting at all? Or did you have to, yeah, did you have to research that? 
Yeah, my, my first exposure to forensic accounting as a discipline was in when I had gone back to school to get my, my accounting degree so I could sit for the CPA exam. And there, there was a course offered there called Fraud and Forensic Accounting. Um, so that was my first exposure. I had been, you know, through audits at my employer. And it was interesting because looking back after seeing that going through the class, I got to look back and say, you know what, I was really being groomed as almost a witness, you know, because we, we, we would be sat down and say, okay, now like, don't give away too much information, only answer the question that you're asked. Like, don't chit chat, don't let them stay. You know, it was, it was really interesting to see in, in retrospect, how I had really become kind of the KG witness. You know, I was groomed to be that person that wasn't giving too much away, that was defending their company, which I mean, has to be a riot for you to hear. Or did, did you know that? I mean, you obviously know people do that, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the game. Yeah. So it was, it was interesting to see in retrospect what, what, you know, what I had been, what I had been in terms of that role. I, I was the KG witness and I was like, so now I need to understand the investigator. I have not worked in forensic accounting at all. Uh, so I knew I needed to do a lot of research to make Nora plausible as, as our forensic accountant, our protagonist. So I turned to the ACFE and I subscribed to Fraud Magazine and read that voraciously. I took several of their classes, their CPE classes that they offered. And, and so that was very, very helpful for me just to get into the mindset of a forensic accountant and, and what they're looking for, what they're going to key into, and really um, what fraudsters are doing now, you know, to make it relevant to what's happening right now in the world, how people are trying to get away with these financial crimes. And uh, so that was, was primarily what I did for research. I did enjoy and I chuckled to myself when you gave a little shout out to the fraud magazine in in the story. <laughs> yes, Nora is reading a copy of fraud on the treadmill, I think, at one point because she keeps up too, of course. Right, of course. Yeah, I, I was like, that's nice. I like that. <laughs> we'll be right back to this interview. So Andy, you just completed the investigation game case of the main cave. What'd you think? I thought it was a lot of fun. All the different options you could take and the different routes you could take and how the cards led you from one card to the next um, was, was a lot of fun. It was actually, uh, it was not what I expected and it was more, uh, it was very well put together. Um, everything from like the card decks to the envelopes, like it was very professional. My favorite part of the game was how interactive it was and it was kind of choose your own adventure type situation where you pick the path you went down and then it would tell you if you wasted time here or if you had the right answer. I would recommend the investigation game to my co-workers uh, because it was a good team activity and I think it would uh, be fun in like an accounting environment um, just to kind of work together as a team and be collaborative. It would be you know, great for recruiting or even just like company events. Um, you know, like team building exercises or even taking like a client to uh, a good way to just kind of build those relationships. Welcome back to the podcast. So as both a forensic accountant reading like, you know, I'm a forensic accountant, but also I'm reading your book for entertainment purposes. I thought the story was incredibly intriguing and very relatable from a career perspective. So I just really appreciated how you beautifully incorporated forensic accounting from a technical aspect without it feeling technical or 
you know, whenever I first started your book, I'd never read one of your books before. So I was like, I wonder if it's going to feel like we're in this nonfiction world for a little bit and then jump into the fiction world. But I didn't. Like it just flowed as part of this story where I felt like there was enough of a background that if I didn't understand forensic accounting, which it sounds like this was intentional, that if I didn't understand forensic accounting, I could follow what's going on. And so I'm kind of curious, what areas did you use real world application? And then are there some areas that you took more like a creative liberty or license with it to, I mean, this was still a crime thriller. So how did you balance those things? Yeah, the, the process of researching um, for, for any book is, is really, you know, trying to get as much actual real information that I can, and then forgetting about 50% of it <laughs> so that I can write the story and, and let the story take over. So for this book, for Strike Me Down, I, I did structure the book into three acts, and the three acts are named for the, the fraud triangle. They, they are named opportunity, pressure, rationalization. And I wanted to teach people a little bit about that. So, so we get into that right away. And there, there were other things um, Nora is providing. I mean, she's working out frameworks. Um, she's going through the independence, uh, the framework in her head um, to see if she can even accept the engagement. There are certain, just as she's moving through the investigation, areas that I wanted to make sure that we're highlighted. Obviously, so important that she is independent. And independence for Nora almost becomes a liability. It, it actually pushes her, it, it's a strength and a flaw. At the same time, it, it pushes her away from people that she should be close to, like her family and her friends, and kind of isolates her into this bubble. Um, but then at the same time, she's she's losing her independence in this investigation. And, and so, uh, that also becomes an area of risk for her. And um, so, yeah, managing risk. There were just little pieces that I, I wanted to put in so that, like you said, people who were not accountants, who were aren't comfortable with numbers at all, could read this book and feel like they came away with more information than they had before, but still feel like they read just a really engaging thriller at the same time. So I very deliberately followed a detective, you know, police procedural sort of storytelling framework for the crime fiction readers so that they would feel very comfortable knowing that Nora is gathering evidence, she's interviewing witnesses, she's narrowing down her list of suspects. But at the same time, we have enough real life application of forensic accounting so that it feels plausible. Yeah, like, I mean, I really did feel like a lot of the steps are very similar to what I would do. Now, I will tell you the one thing that I'm jealous Nora has that I don't is their fancy computer. So yeah, yeah, she, has the, <laughs> she has the amazing Inga, which is artificial intelligence, which is one of the things that I think I must have read about in Fraud Magazine and was so excited about. I was like, yes, this firm is going to have that because I want them to. <laughs> right. That's pretty handy. Speaking of your research, did you stumble across any fraud cases that shocked or stood out to you? I think one of the hazards of being a crime fiction author is that my benchmark for being shocked has risen <laughs> a lot. And so, so I didn't actually, in the cases that I read about, I was not shocked because really people as an entity, there's, there's nothing I would put past, you know, I, I, people do not shock me, but a person can absolutely shock me. Somebody that I think I know 
on a personal level. And so it actually wasn't my research that had fraud cases that shocked me because those were, you know, independent of anything that I was experiencing in my life. It was just something I was reading about. So those I was not shocked by. I would say the case that, not a case necessarily, but what has shocked me in my career was actually an instance that I had when I was working in accounting where I actually had to become a whistleblower and had to report a revenue of fraud that was happening. And the people that I worked with that I thought were my teammates, that I thought we shared you know, the same uh, moral framework and, and uh, ethical framework with that sort of turned against me because I was doing the right thing, that shocked me. That shocked me because I thought I knew those people. And uh, so that's why I actually made Nora in her backstory be a whistleblower. And she, she is coming from a place where she did the right thing and it, uh, it kind of exploded her life. And so that was important to me to put in the book because I don't think we always think about how difficult that can be for the person who is calling attention to the fraud. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's interesting because we work so many fraud cases with small business or uh, small mid-sized business. And if if they met me at a networking event, they would say, oh, this friend of mine, yeah, I had all this money stolen. Like, like what you were saying, they believe. And so they're not shocked that people steal money. But then whenever they find out that it's their office managers that stole money, the one that they trusted or their bookkeeper or their CFO, that's what is most shocking. Right. It's that question of trust. You know, you thought you knew this person, you thought you could trust them. So yeah, people will do anything. But the fact that a person does it that you thought you knew, that's what's shocking. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So kind of stepping away from forensic accounting for a minute, as I was reading the book and just knowing we would be having this discussion today, I'm curious as to the kickboxing elements and settings and in the book. Are you a kickboxer? What was your interest in this sport? Yeah, it is an interesting pairing, isn't it? Uh, accounting and kickboxing. Yeah. Like accounting and, and crime fiction. Of like... <laughs> kind of. <laughs> I, you know, I knew I wanted Nora, I wanted to throw Nora into an environment where she would be completely uncomfortable, you know, just put her in a sort of upside down world. And she was going to be very comfortable in just about any corporate environment I could have put her in, you know, there, there wouldn't have been enough there to really push her into really uncomfortable situations and, and, and terrible, terrible consequences. So, uh, which is what you want to do, obviously, as an author, you want to put your characters through as much possible discomfort as you can. So um, I wanted to take her out of the corporate sphere completely. And I thought, what better place than martial arts? So I, I gave Nora a martial arts tournament that was taking place in Minneapolis. It's called Strike Down. The name of the tournament is being hosted by a company called Strike, which is this 
anti-corporate feminist athletic empire owned by this kind of power couple. There's a, a 50 year old legendary kickboxer who is the, the face of the company and then her husband uh, who's the marketing genius. Uh, and so Nora is, is put into this ring, a literal ring, um, and is completely out of her element. So that's, um, that's really where I wanted her to be so that she could be forced to change. And kickboxing in particular, I'm not a kickboxer. I'm sort of a gym rat when the gyms are open. I do like to go to classes and work out and, and uh, be at the gym. Um, but I was never, I was never in, into martial arts specifically. So I actually did have to take about six months of kickboxing lessons to write this book. So that was the other piece of my research. Uh, it was really fun. I dragged my husband along and, uh, and we kickboxed together for six months. That's a lot of fun. That's, that's awesome to have an excuse or whatever. I mean, not that we need an excuse to go work out and do something different, but that's pretty awesome. It seems to me that while Strike Me Down is extremely entertaining, there seem to be several like kind of underlying themes or I was kind of having a hard time describing this themes or, you know, life lessons or like takeaways. So I wondered if there's one of these themes that you can share you think that that doesn't give anything away or is any type of spoiler. Yes, definitely. Of course, in, in any novel, you know, the, the character has to be pushed to change and irreversible change so that that character is really not the same person at the end as they were at the beginning. If, you know, in, in the event of crime fiction, if they make it all the way to the end, <laughs> but the ones that do, the ones that make it to that final scene, you do want them to be just irreversibly transformed. And so those, those, I guess I would consider the life lessons or the themes of the book is, is what is that journey that that character has taken emotionally, the interior journey versus the exterior narrative, you know, the action of the book. And uh, for, for Nora specifically, I guess I'll spoiler, Nora, Nora does live. <laughs> she, she makes it to the final scene. And her lesson really um, that she has to learn is that she has to be able to let people in. So she's taken this idea of independence and really brought it to an extreme when we meet her so that she keeps everyone at arm's length and that's great she has to do that professionally but personally she has to let people get close to her she has to she has to be able to be vulnerable and trust that that if she does allow herself to love people they're not going to walk away so that's that's kind of the lesson that she learns is that independence is great in the workplace um, but uh, not always at home yeah absolutely I definitely felt that reading the book that I didn't walk away with that. I just think that this book was just a great read. It was a fun read. And, you know, it was really fun that I just got to, you know, so much. We kind of talked about this before that so much of my reading is nonfiction. And so it was really fun that I got to read a fiction crime thriller for work like that. It's just amazing. Thank you for writing it. And other than what? The movie The Accountant, <laughs> which is very far from what my life looks like. Uh, I, I don't know of many other entertaining avenues or art that has, I guess, like represented my life. So as a professional, so I just, I really enjoyed it. And, and I hope that our listeners will pick it up. And you mentioned that in us preparing for this today, that listeners can purchase Strike Me Down at any book retailer, but you 
specifically recommended bookshop.org. Will you tell us about this site? Yes, I'm happy to. And and I'm so, so happy and pleased that, that you enjoyed it and that it spoke to you. I, you know, it just tells me that my challenge to myself was successful. So thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So bookshop.org, it's, it's a relatively new site that is actually, it's setting itself up really to be a sort of a competitor to Amazon in across the last, you know, several decades, um, independent bookstores, around the country have been challenged by, you know, first the big box stores and now Amazon really taking a lot of share in the marketplace and being a kind of a bully in the sense that they can undercut their prices, use books as loss leaders to then sell other items, you know, that that they sell. But independent bookstores don't always can't compete, you know, in that way. So bookshop.org is a site that really makes it so easy to support independent bookstores. You like for me in the Twin Cities, we have so many independents. And you know, I I can either sit and choose to say, okay, I'm gonna support this store with this purchase and this store with this purchase. When you go to bookshop.org with just a couple easy clicks, just like an Amazon experience, you know, click, click and you're checked out, um, you get your book. And they support independent bookstores across the country. So all independent bookstores that that sign up to be affiliates of bookshop.org get checks every time you buy a book from bookshop.org. So instead of having to choose, okay, I'm going to support this independent bookstore today and maybe this one next week, and you can just go to bookshop.org and know that your purchase there is supporting all independent bookstores and small businesses across the country. Yeah, what a cool idea. I love it. Uh, it really is. Yeah, it's great. And it's making it like just as handy as Amazon. So I love that. I love that. Exactly. It's giving you that Amazon like experience, you know, without while having, you know, the ability to support. Yeah, that's just great. Well, this has been like such a unique interview for me. I, I will say, whenever I was kind of thinking about how this conversation would go. I'm like, oh my goodness, we're not going to talk about like anything accounting in this one. <laughs> like this, this stretched my, my uh, questions and, and curiosity, but I've had plenty of questions for authors over the years. So you just got to have some of them. So I appreciate you taking your time to visit with me. And if any of our listeners want to see what other crime thrillers you have written or learn more about you or to connect, where should they go? I am online at MindyMejia.com and on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at Mejia Writes or Mindy Mejia. So you can find me at all of those places. And yeah, my books are pretty much anywhere you buy your books. Well, thank you so much, Mindy, for joining me today. I really had a great time. Well, thank you, Leah, for having me. This was so much fun. The Investigation Game Podcast is a production of Workman Forensics. For more information about the topics we discuss on each episode, please visit workmanforensics.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. You can also connect with us on any of the social media platforms by searching Workman Forensics. If you have any questions, comments, or topic ideas for the podcast, please email us at podcast at workmanforensics.com.